listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. I want to thank you for letting me be myself. Welcome to Rock Talk, the podcast where we talk rock and roll all night and podcast every day. We are your hosts, John Otney. And Colin Westman. And for today's episode, we're talking about thankfulness, what we're thankful for. We have Thanksgiving coming up, unless we don't get this out in time, which is possible. Oh, we will. (laughs) Unless... Maybe you die recording this. <laughs> Otherwise, I will edit it. Unless my computer explodes. Or unless <laughs> I get shot after recording. There's a lot of Look, things there's that There's a lot of bad things that could happen. Situation. Not gonna lie. But if you're hearing this, none of them have happened. So therefore, you should be thankful that I didn't die. <laughs> that your computer didn't blow up. <laughs> your computer didn't blow up. But thankfulness, Thanksgiving's coming up. Um, the theme of this episode was requested by a fan, Sean Lemmy, Washington State. He's really looking forward to this one. I know, he came up with this idea. How did you interpret this list, though? Like, thankful, what are you thankful for about music in 2017? Like, what was your strategy here? Um, I think my strategy here was kind of mainly... <laughs> looking back on the fact that this was by all accounts a pretty shitty year that felt like about 50 years instead of just one and of course the great thing about music is it can always get you through tough times it's always there it's it's it can be very cathartic and it can be a place that you can kind of just escape to when the world is too heavy and you're going through your own typical shit during a day and you can just put on some headphones, relax, and let, you know, the artists that really speak to you speak to you and, and comfort you. And, and that's kind of what <laughs> how I was looking at it because I'm thankful for all these artists that they're there that I can return to, you know, in any year and, and just have them to get me through whatever I'm going through. But I, I guess I also pick some stuff that's specific to this year, just like albums that came out or shows I went to, or I don't know. I don't know if we're going to touch on like artists that died because there's nothing to be thankful about there. But at the same time, you can kind of be thankful that their music's there and that in artists passing away sometimes you're able to appreciate them again in in ways that maybe you hadn't yeah absolutely yeah no i definitely have uh some albums that came out this year some concerts um a couple of them are just kind of random just like oh i happened to listen to this a couple months ago i was just really into it you know Mm -hmm. so that's actually my first one i guess i'll go first my number 10 because we're each going to do 10 things we're thankful for uh it's just very generic it's just the ramones uh it started (laughs) Last September, there's a show that came on called Mr. Mercedes with Brendan Gleeson based off the Stephen King book, and it's on, like, I don't know, like, AT&T Network, so I have not finished it because I don't have no idea how it's, you're supposed to watch the rest of it. But anyways, the opening episode had um, their uh, the Ramones version of Pet Cemetery, and I was remembering how great that song is, and that kind of just, like, relaunched me into listening to all the Ramones albums again, or at least all the good ones. And the one that has that song, which like isn't as good because it's like 1989, but still that song is super great. I don't know if you ever heard the story of them writing Pet Cemetery. 
No, but I think you recounted it to I think, me yeah, once in the past. Great, you know, just, I'll listen again. They what just happened? go to Stephen King is like a huge fan, so he just invited him over to their house, and then Dee Ramon just walks down to the basement, and well, Stephen King first hands him a copy of the book Pet Cemetery, and just from like the description on the back, he writes the whole song down in the basement and comes back up and shows it to everybody. That's awesome. And just cool. It's so it Dee Ramon is like fascinating subject to me because like the guy seemed like he like was just so like out of his mind and like hopped up on drugs but he's like such a great songwriter so like he could barely like speak <laughs> but he's like this great songwriter yeah. <laughs> and then you know i listened to a bunch of their albums i was doing some reading and i was uh, i'm still looking into trying to find like a good book on the ramones i don't know what's a good source i think maybe marky wrote one <laughs> one of the drummers yeah that's supposed to be pretty good and he was in the band during like He's in there in the late 70s, and he was back in there, I think, in the late 80s to 90s. So he, it's a good span of time, because, you know, they're all dead, you know? Yep. <laughs> that's, such, that's such a bummer. Of course, I have to watch the great uh, clip of Joy Ramone on Drew Carey Show. Classic. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, search that on YouTube right now. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. They totally lose it when he's on camera, because he can't really act. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned this actually, because one of the things I I was I wanted to fit onto my list of things to talk about that I was thankful this year, and the Ramones was one of them because I think I talked about it on a, a previous podcast that I, this year I read the book Please Kill Me, which is about the right. '70s New York punk scene, and a lot of it is dedicated to the Ramones. And kind of reading that, I you know was was compelled to to listen to their music again and be reminded that like they are like kind of the perfect rock and roll band you know they just distilled everything that's great about rock music into a very sort of precise sound that's just fucking timeless you still listen to those records and they they sound like like nothing else even though they've influenced so many bands and like yeah the like the four of them, the Ramones were such a weird uh, combination of personalities. Certainly, Dee Dee Ramone was maybe the most eccentric of them. I guess. I guess he is. It's just like, and you have like Johnny Ramone, who like like is such a no nonsense. Like, just seems like the least fun person. But he's in like in like the most fun rock and roll band. It's just yeah love them they're, they're so good i think also leaving home may have had a reissue this year i'm not sure if it's anniversary i don't know if that one was i don't know it came out again for some reason i don't know why yeah it's a good one um but yeah ramones been listening to a lot of ramones i'm hoping when they're doing that new pet cemetery they'll consider bringing back that song it's pretty sweet pretty sweet music video check out that too just them hanging out in a cemetery mm-hmm uh, Colin, you're number 10. Number 10 is another artist for me that, uh, you know, I'd listened to a bunch in the past. In fact, it's one of those artists, like, I don't feel like I ever stop listening to. Like, I always return to a few of his records constantly. But this year in particular seemed like a good year for him was uh, Randy Newman, because he had another album come out this year, which was pretty good, because it's just him writing the kind of songs that he's so good at writing, these sort of uh, satirical kind of funny weird uh you know accounts of american life that are orchestral and and also just really great from a lyrical standpoint and they 
I think I also picked up his first album on vinyl, which I'd never heard before, which is also great. But it's 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 strange, like how little he's changed from when he was twenty five to now that he's in his sixties, that he's still kind of writing the same odd Americana infused songs. It works because he was never really cool. No, he's a great storyteller and songwriter, but it's never like he's never like screaming and he wasn't like shredding an electric guitar. So that would be pretty good. Yeah. You know, he was just like he was just like the storyteller. So his music works just as well as an old man as it did like a young man. I remember uh, when I first got into Randy Newman. I think it was around this time of year for some reason. Mm-hmm. I remember as an Ellsbury, it was like super snowy, and I'm just like plodding through the snow to Fred Meyer, listening to Sail Away, and it's just like now I always associate with snow. Maybe it's because like Randy Newman has like a cozy voice, <laughs> which is funny because like I mean he's got like some cute like some like heartwarming songs, but he's also got like biting satirical songs too it's a good mix like my favorite album of his is sail away and like even that one has like simon smith is amazing dancing bear but then you also got like political science so it's a good mix i wish more people knew about the other side of randy newman i feel like a lot of people still don't yeah probably younger people they don't know that they're like what's he doing writing this song about putin it's like he's been fucking doing this for 50 years is this in the new toy story yeah like I don't get it. Also, I think if I'm recalling this correctly, he did the music to that Meyerowitz stories movie that just came out. No. It did have a song from Sail Away on it as well. But mm. I think he did like the actual like orchestral stuff and whatnot. Yeah. Because he does that sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not always just you got a friend in me. <laughs> I was almost I was just about ready to launch a new impression, but I'm not gonna do it. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to No, do I it. like that album a lot too. Uh, I guess I'll go on to my number nine. Um, this isn't something I really care about that much most of the time, but for some reason this year made me happy, and it concerns the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I wonder if I'll ever do an episode about that, because like, <laughs> a lot of people think it's bullshit. Sexists think it's bullshit. I don't know where I stand on it today. But I was happy to see Electric Light Orchestra got in there this year, because that's always a band that I really liked as a teenager. And I felt like they were never really respected critically. I feel like they did pretty well commercially, you know in the late 70s early 80s but i feel like i'd never hear anyone like writing about them or talking about them really and it was just cool to see them brought up again and get in there and revisited their music and whatnot and uh i I don't know if they've been uh touring or what i think they've been playing shows off and on in england mostly i think los angeles i think too they played that one place that open the place. Hollywood Bowl. They I played the Hollywood that. Bowl for a while. Yeah. They haven't gone like on an international tour or anything. Okay. But it's just cool to see Jeff Lynne back doing things because he was kind of like semi-retired. I just feel like he's one of those great like underrated producer songwriters. Yeah. But it's it's, it's cool. He's always been like pretty humble about it. So you know, just glad to see him getting some recognition. Yeah. Even <laughs> if it's from that bullshit museum in Cleveland. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so my uh, number nine is, uh, I don't know, I just had a lot of fun this summer seeing the movie Baby Driver, because it rocks so hard, right. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of movie where, like, as, as, as a fan of rock music, uh, through really all eras, you know, you go and see, and you it has all these little songs interspersed throughout the movie and you're like oh i know that one i know that one and you feel cool if you, you know feel it. really cool because they're not like they're deep cuts yeah they're deep cuts most of them i would say um and i i don't know i guess the one like discovery of baby driver was i got into john spencer blues explosion because their song is like 
the first song that that kicks off the movie and I'd never listened to them before and they're just cool like way I mean they are bluesy they have blues in their name but like it's it's very sort of like stones-esque rock but sort of like punkier too I don't know that's pretty cool I believe that was also Ansel Igort's or however Elgort I don't know how to say his name that was his favorite song it's cool. I assume he knew none of this. He knew none of it. I saw like an interview. He's like, I just don't. I don't like know any songs. <laughs> He's just honest about it. Yeah. John Hamm's like, I knew like a lot of this stuff. Nice. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, the two songs that really stuck out, of course, "Neat, Neat, Neat" was in one of the robberies, and yeah. I love that. The Damned, and also um, "Hocus Pocus" by Focus. Mm-hmm. That's one of those songs I just. I want the world to know how hilarious <laughs> and great it is. You know, this like. I think it's what from the Netherlands, just like hard rock song, but has yodeling in it and whistle solos. And that's during that great chase scene in the mall. It was just cool to see like what was like sort of like a rock musical kind of, but like an action rock musical. I don't, I don't even know how you categorize it, but yeah, like it was great. And there's so many songs that I didn't know that I got to discover because of it. So anytime that can happen, that's something special. And what's funny is my number eight is Baby Driver. Nice. <laughs> so, I don't think I have anything else to add to it. Yeah. Were there any rock and roll cameos? There's Flea. Oh, there's Paul Williams. Yeah. I remember I had to like speak out loud to Autumn in the theater. That's Paul Williams. <laughs> like she's like, I don't care. <laughs> he wrote Rainbow Connection. Yeah. So I haven't seen him act in a while. That's pretty funny. Uh. Okay, yeah, that's my number eight, so it's back to you. (laughs) uh, My number eight, uh, I guess, happened pretty recently, like two weeks, was this last week? Well, it was a week and a half ago. I went and saw uh, Ted Leo live, which was awesome because he's an artist I just always wanted to see, but he doesn't tour as much anymore, and he had kind of a comeback album, uh, The Hanged Man, this year, which sounded really good. And I guess it was just special because it was like the Wednesday after, you know, the 27 off year election, which was good. It was a good election. We yeah, it saw was some, a good election. some hopeful things in Virginia. And, you know, Ted Leo is a, a fairly political guy. He kind of intersperses political stuff into his songs. Like, I remember there's one song off of like Hearts of Oak that he played where you know it's talking about the iraq war and he finishes the song and he's like oh i guess the <laughs> the quaintness of bush era political songs such a simple time <laughs> and it's yeah it's just nice to go to a show actually feeling good about the direction our country's heading in and rocking the fuck out his band sounded really good he had a saxophone player which was unexpected but she uh she uh she sounded really good and solid banter very good banter <laughs> he went on like <laughs> yeah he, he i mean he, he, he talked about the election the day before and he also talked about his uh like he had a nicotine lozenge that he spit into his whiskey and he kept like giving the audience play-by-play on how much it had dissolved over the course of the show, (laughs) which was funny. But, yeah. Where's he based out of? Do you know or look it from? I think he started in D.C. and then was a New York guy for a while. I think he... I think he's out of, like, Connecticut now. Okay, so East Coast guy. Yeah. That's cool, though. Um, Yeah, okay. Uh, my number seven, I guess, is where we're at. 
I wrote uh, John Carpenter music. Uh, there was a retrospective that came out this year where John Carpenter and like his sons or whatever his band is, we recorded all of like his old themes and released an album. And I was listening to that. And, you know, some of the versions like, I prefer the older version, you know, like, that's, like, that the best keyboard you chose there. But it was cool, like, seeing him just, like, him getting back together and, like, rocking out, and he went on, I think, on a little tour. And I just love to see that John Carpenter, like, now that he's basically retired from filmmaking, he's just out there rocking. Mm-hmm. I really wish that I had, you know, gone to go see him. But I think that's cool that he's really followed one of his other passions in music. So much so that I heard recently that he's going to score the new Halloween movie. He's not directing it. It's David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, <laughs> though they're writing, and then David Gordon Green's directing, and John Carpenter's doing the music, and it's just cool to see that he's getting back into music. So I was listening to a lot of John Carpenter over Halloween. I was really digging it. Uh, Salt and Precinct 13, that's an awesome song. There's so many great themes that he's done. Uh, only disappointment is he does not do a newer version of his Big Trouble in Little China theme. <laughs> the, the Well, there's two themes. There's like the main like instrumental theme, but then there's the one that he sings with his sweet band. Yeah. It's like the music video. <laughs> None of that, unfortunately, which is too bad because he's a great voice, very Elvis. <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, so... You know, maybe I wonder if you go to a John Carpenter show if you shout that out if there's a chance. Big you know. trouble that little child. He's always just like, mm, I guess so. He just seems like he's having a good time. He's just like, you know, getting high and playing video games and rocking out. It's like that's the main thing I want to do when I get old. Yeah. So it's cool to see that he's doing that. Colin, you're seven. Um. I don't know. I guess this is another one of just bands I return to, and it's it's just the Clash. I just keep coming back to them again and again. I don't know. I keep getting all like, oh, everything was so political this year, and I had to listen to political bands, but I did. I I kept returning to London Calling, which is just one of the fucking greatest rock albums ever. I'll never stop loving that album. But the other ones are good, too. I mean... Like Sandinista is good in the way I listen to it, which is basically I listened to that album probably once or twice in high school. I'm like, this is so long. It's so long, and not all the songs are worth listening to. So, like at a certain point, I created like a playlist of like what I would imagine the single disc version. Oh, that's really cool. Of Sandinista being, and it's got like eleven or twelve songs. It's like forty five minutes. And it's it's just it's it's really good. I don't think I'm the first person to have this idea, but um, yeah, the Clash are just great. And I I don't know. There's this one Joe Strummer interview he gives where he just talks about sort of his whole spiel in regards to whenever you feel like you're being oppressed by the powers that be and the fact that you know people on the ground make up every continent and every nation and you can't take that power away from the people no matter how much you try and I just like when you listen to that uh, interview you're like well this is the most simple view of how (laughs) world politics work but the way like he's able to express it it all makes sense and you connect with it and that's I think what's great about the Clash's music is they're able to express so many different things about just being a fucking human being but also in a way that's really simple and direct and uh yeah i I think i'll always 
just keep returning to them over the years. I've never listened to Sandinista. Yeah, I think I've maybe been, I'll give you that. Playlist. I'm way too intimidated by that. Like, like plus two hour runtime. It's, it's a triple album. It's really long. It's very unwieldy. Triple but there, album. but there is some good stuff on there for sure. It's crazy because London Calling is like fairly long. It's just crazy to think that a band would have enough. I know it's, to do I mean, a triple album thing. after doing a double album. I'm just amazed by that band, just because it's not like they were huge. It's not like they're making a ton of money, and it's like I'm sure they were putting their necks on the line with their record company and stuff, making these huge, long, sort of indulgent albums. But like, I don't know, they just had to get it all out. Don't give a fuck. Nope. Another band that wants to get it all out. This works for my number six. Is uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which is a band that I got into this year. And I say get it all out because they've released four albums. They released one um, at the time of this podcast, uh, the previous Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And they're they're still saying we might release one more. I don't know what the deal is, but what's so great about um, I'm getting are they all just released online? Um, you know what's or are, are, are these they released in record stores? I think the first three are record wow. stores. But the the gimmick here's what's interesting about King Gizzard and Liz Wizard. First, if you're not familiar with the band, they're just kind of psychedelic hard rock, you know. I've only listened to one of their albums. It wasn't any of the ones from this year. I yeah. Can't remember. Well, they have a lot of albums. Year. I think they have 12, and they've only been around since 2012. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but what's, what's really cool about them this year is every album has had a very specific concept to it, whether it be like an idea or like how they're going to approach recording. Um, there was Flying Microtunal Banana, and uh, the cool thing about that is they built these custom instruments that play like um they're set to like microtonal tuning microtonal tuning which mm-hmm. i'm not i don't 100 percent understand it, it sounds like it's kind of like finding the notes with between notes and then getting weird custom-made instruments so the songs are is that uh, like what indian music does yeah i think it's kind of what indian music does it's yeah. very it's a very like um eastern kind of musical style mm-hmm. um i think they're saying what inspired it was like some of the weird tunings on the first Velvet Underground album with like um, what it was like Venus and Furs and like Roadrunner, yeah. or what's the song? Is that, is that do I have that right? What's the one I'm thinking of? I don't know. It's not called Roadrunner. What's it called? <coughs> I'm losing my uh, Velvet Underground credit. Yeah. Here. Do you want me to name all the tracks on the first I'm Velvet Underground album? I bet I could. Not Sunday Road- morning, waiting for the band. Uh, What's the third track on it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to do this. I feel like I should be able to do this. Um, I'm trying to remember what... Is I think it's Venus because they call he calls that tuning... It's, it's like... Uh, it's kind of like... Maybe that's... I don't, I don't know why I have the word road run in here. I'm trying to... Think of run, run, run? I mean... I don't feel like that has that in it. No, it's it a does. very specific tuning... I'll come back to that. I'm going to look that up. Anyways, a very bizarre tuning on Flying Microtune Banana. Um, so all the, all the songs, yeah, the title is even bizarre. It has like a, all the songs have like a, it's just like a rhythm for like five minutes that, you know, they're singing over and it's like really trippy. Mm-hmm. And then they did like an, an album that was, uh, I don't know, it, it's like a, it's just like a concept album about like fighting against like monsters and stuff. <laughs> and it's broken up into like all these like, 45 second tracks or one minute tracks and there's in three parts 
and then they did one that was kind of just like a fancy kind of like pop but also like jazz fusion record and i don't really know the gimmick um with their new one i think i guess what it is it's like they said it's going to be entirely in the public domain so like you can start a record company and release it <laughs> though i was reading some stuff on reddit about how like they may have overlooked a few things that may not be 100 percent correct <laughs> like it may not actually be in the public domain and there may be some issues if you tried to sell it for money yeah. but um I mean, I, I think the idea was just just trying to give out for free and give people the master tracks. You can download the master tracks from their like website and remix stuff, and just ha- it's your album to do with what you want. And that one's called Polygon Wanna Land, <laughs> all one word. And yeah, it's just been fun uh, exploring this psychedelic uh, sound. And uh, I don't know if I'm ever gonna go like look at the previous whatever nine albums, but um, <laughs> we'll see. I know Edgar Wright, big fan of them. It's like mm-hmm. one of his all-time favorite bands, and that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so yeah, check it out. They're from Australia. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was never sure if these are in order. I guess these are just ten things we're talking about. But uh, my number six is just an album I've really loved from this year. I think I talked about it on a, on a rock talk as a today pick but uh, Guppy by Charlie Bliss is one that I keep returning to and I think when I first talked about it on Rock Talk I was like I like this it's very 90s and very sort of like bubble gummy and it's almost like I felt like not sure if I liked it <laughs> because like the lead singer's voice is like very specific and I feel like I'd understand if someone listened to it and it's like I don't like it it's too like nasally and high but like once I got into this album and I sort of just accepted the fact that, yeah, I do really like this, the more and more I listened to it, I was like, I don't like this. I love this. <laughs> I love this so much because it is just like the funnest album. It's very easy to just rock out to and put on, and the songs are so goddamn catchy, and I just like... You know, apart from like me having to have like all the music from this year have some sort of like social meaning or something it was nice to just to have this album that's just pure fucking fun and just like such a great escape and just like yeah just a really awesome debut jolly bliss guessing you never listened to no them. i have listened to charlie Lewis. okay i found them served them on av club do you ever see like they do that thing where they get artists in to do covers yeah they did Steal My Sunshine by Len. That's incredibly appropriate <laughs> for what they said. Like, it's one of those things where I'm still like undecided. I can't decide if I like I know. It See, it. that's what I had at like the beginning. And once I like gave in, I was like, no, this is, this is so fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably give it another listen. I didn't actually listen down, but I listened to probably like a bunch of singles because they, like, they have like a music video for like six different songs. Yeah. So I was checking that off on YouTube. <laughs> it's definitely unique. It's definitely interesting. So I'm into that. Oh, and just to bring up on a side note, the thing I was trying to think of earlier, it's ostrich tuning. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that. I, I was thinking, for some reason, I had the word roadrunner tuning in my head. <laughs> roadrunner tuning. <laughs> well, what odd. the fuck does ostrich tuning mean? It makes just as less sense. Is it just a type of tuning? Yeah. But you're still using like a guitar. But you're tuning it. I'm on the Wikipedia for Os- ostrich guitar right now. It assigns one note to all strings. Yeah. It was coined by the Velvet Underground's Lou Reed. 
one note. There's a pre-Velvet song called The Ostrich. Okay. A little bit of rock talk fun facts for you after <laughs> going down a rabbit hole of incorrect notes. Anyways, <laughs> Charlie Bliss. Yeah, check that out. What's the name of that album? Uh, Guppy. Guppy, yes. Okay, there's Guppy. a little fish being held by someone Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can remember it now. I can remember that one. <laughs> In one of those goldfish bags. Okay, so we're on to number five. My number five is Mr. Michael Jackson. We did a bad... Yeah. podcast a while back and that i was just so into that i had so, <laughs> so much fun going back and listening to bad and uh all the other michael jackson albums and then in october there there's a release total like corporate fuck we need some like a lot of money let's just like throw something together they yeah. did like a what they advertise is a halloween compilation called scream with a lot of Michael Jackson's more spooky themed songs, <laughs> but I was totally into it. It's just like a good mix, you know. It has Thriller, it has the song Scream, which I didn't used to like, but now I really like the one with Janet Jackson, where they're in the spaceship. Oh yeah, <laughs> black and white. And I feel anime like footage. Wasn't that like the most expensive music video at the ever time? I believe it was. Made at the time. It's, it's hella good, and uh, of course it's got Rockwell on there. Oh yeah. And, Somebody's uh, watching me. That's pretty good, I guess. Oh, is what it is. No, it's pretty. Good. <laughs> it's pretty okay. It's pretty good. <laughs> like, sure, Rockwell is not very talented, but he uses everything he's got in that song. No, I'm definitely coming to the point where I was like, you know, I think I really, really like Michael Jackson. I've listened mm-hmm. to all his albums. Well, I've actually no, I've never. I don't think I've ever made it all the way through the his last real one. The one where he did the music video with Chris Tucker and Marlon Brando. How long is that one? That album? No, that, that music video. Music video. <laughs> oh, probably like probably like eighteen minutes. Yeah, fifteen minutes. It's I remember long. when it debuted on VH1. It was like a special yeah. event. It was a big one. It was a big uh, big thing. I, mean, I, I feel was... like that's how all his videos were. Was they would debut in prime time. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that that's not like a thing anymore. I mean, no one's big enough for that. I mean, I guess maybe Taylor Swift could pull that kind of thing, but it's just like everybody just watches stuff on the internet now, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that album is Invincible, and it is 77 minutes long. It's pretty intense, but great music video. Love Michael Jackson. Have you listened to that album? Some of it. Okay. 77 minutes, Colin. No, that's respectable. (laughs) For you to have listened to any of that album, I think, makes you a... Uh, a pretty loyal Michael I Jackson fan. I listened to the, the posthumous, posthumous albums. They both suck though so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Scream, I like Scream because it's just revisiting the classics. <laughs> Gone. You're number five. First, I should say, have you ever checked out Janet Jackson's music at no. all? Really? Well, you know, I should because in the Scream video, she sounds exactly like Michael Jackson. <laughs> no, her music's super similar and like really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess really the only two albums I've listened to of hers are Control and Rhythm Nation, but they're both super awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) If you you want something similar, check those out. Um, My number five is I kind of just went uh, on a tear of revisiting Joni Mitchell this year. Um, I guess... (laughs) one reason is like we have all these rock stars dying you know recently and Joni Mitchell is someone that like 
I feel like I always hear about how her health has been bad the last like five she, she years. She has or that so. weird like disease that like people aren't sure if it's like real. What is that disease? You don't know about that? I don't know about that. I just am like, she's in bad health. I, I bet like, I can find it by searching Joni Mitchell disease. Mm-hmm. Um, Morg, I have no idea how to say it. Morgellons? Um, Morgellons. It's a socially transmitted disease. <laughs> Poorly understood, but the general medical consensus that is a form of delusional parasitosis. The sores are as a result of compulsive scratching the fibers and analyzed turn out to be originate from textiles. It's like people start finding like fibers and stuff all over their bodies and think that they have something, hmm. but they don't. And she's someone who has that. I don't know what other Ill- illnesses she has. Mm. Apparently she had an aneurysm oh, in 2015. No. She seems, the, I don't know, she's still kicking. She's still it's, hanging in there. For yeah. Sure. Um, and it's just like, uh, I don't know, that, that run of music she made in the late 60s, early 70s is just fantastic. I picked up uh, Clouds on vinyl this year, which has both sides now which weirdly i i don't even know if i'd heard before even though it's one of her signature songs but it's just such a great sort of heartbreaking melancholy song and uh i still feel like there's more of her work i could discover like i know there's one album she did after uh what's her big one court and spark that's like her foray into like straight up jazz like i know cord and spark kind of has a, a jazzy feel to it but um i don't know <laughs> i'm like a, a little hesitant to to listen to her her jazz period just because i love that original folk sound so much but um yeah she, she just had a really great run there in the 70s and uh glad she's still around she's she's a treasure not national treasure because she's Canadian, but she rules. They need every treasure they can get. Oh yeah, they have. They, Mitchell, lo- they, have <laughs> they lost Leonard Cohen last year. Yeah, they still got Rush. You know, Sean and I are watching that Nirvana the band the show. The what's it? Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, it has a lot of Guess Who music in it. So I, I bet in Canada they really like their Guess Who. Probably. <laughs> I would too. Uh, my number four is something that uh, we shared together, Colin, when we watched Long Strange Trip. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Grateful Dead documentary. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Get together, watch that once a week. I'm not really sure why it was made, because I assume it's like a lot of documentaries with the Grateful Dead, but I hadn't seen any of them, so it was good for me. Um, I don't know if there are a lot of Grateful Dead documentaries. I know there's that Netflix one about Bob Weir yeah, specifically. Yeah, recent, too. Maybe they were just trying to make like the definitive Grateful Dead documentary, which is why it's so fucking long. <laughs> but but that was cool. I mean, seeing like a six part documentary series because sometimes there are subjects that kind of you need that time to really get a full sense of them. And the fact that the Grateful Dead went on for like twenty years, you know, past their heyday. And they just have this whole like subculture around them. There's just I think a that's lot what there. Me the most. How many bands build like a culture around them of people? You know, it's, like it's a community. Kind of insane, really, <laughs> because it's like they built such a culture that it was able to sustain itself even after they stopped playing. Because like Fish and all these other jam bands kind of inherited the whole 
dead <laughs> state of mind or whatever you want to call it. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. You gotta have that, and the music's just good. I mean, some of it. I don't it's know. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not a big Grateful Dead fan, but I do appreciate it. I think yeah. the thing is, like, I feel like sometimes it could rock more, but it's still like pretty. It, good. it doesn't rock very often. <laughs> it's pretty. It's just something back. you kind of sway to, yeah. man. <laughs> or maybe you get really into it when they do that, like drums in space or whatever they called it. I can't remember what they called that, but they did get there with the two drummers and they just do like an interlude where they just play drums for like twenty, thirty minutes, whatever. Yeah. I think something that I didn't really know about the Grateful Dead before watching that was the intricacy of their setup. I, you know, I didn't know that they brought their own sound system to a lot of these venues, and you know, the guys would be setting the shit up all day. I mean, at that one point in like the early seventies where they have that huge like monstrosity of a sound system, it's like a hundred feet tall, just of like twenty amps, pure amps and speakers, and it's. It looks like something out of a sci-fi novel. Like this is what rock and roll is in the future. It's pretty nuts. That was cool. I'd just love to get a good like picture book with more of that stuff, like from Grateful Dead shows. It's just yeah. to think that they cared that much to put what must have been a huge pain in the ass to do like every <laughs> night for like 30, 40 years, whatever. Mm. Like it just showed that they really cared at how good it sounded and that the people were having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was a great documentary, and I recommend it to anyone. Doesn't matter if you're a big Grateful Dead fan. Also, some very tasteful Frankenstein footage, which mm-hmm. I appreciated <laughs> as a Frankenstein fan. A lot of that. I'm glad that Jerry Garcia really likes Frankenstein. Yeah, because I do too. Uh, your number four, Con. Okay, my number four is connected to my last one because when I got into my Jody Mitchell phase, I was kind of, you know, listening to her music on Apple music and you know how in the right hand corner it always says like similar artists and yeah you know it's it was all just like typical crosby stills and nash carol king whatever stuff i don't always heard of and then one of them was laura nero who i had never heard of like <laughs> even though she's in the rock and roll hall of fame if we want to rebuke <laughs> your statement that they're sexist but um like i guess she was just this singer songwriter in the late 60s she was kind of like a child prodigy i mean she had her first big hit at like 18 and kind of retired from the music industry at 24 after this pretty strong run of like four or five albums that are all really good i mean i think she's kind of famous for she wrote a few hits for the group the fifth dimension which is mm, interesting good. yeah and her songs like they are kind of soulful and they do i think lend themselves to soul covers but they're also kind of jazzy and poppy and like she's been very it, it seems like she was very influential on a lot of the 70s singer songwriters like Joni Mitchell or, and uh, I saw this interview with Elton John where he's talking to Elvis Costello about how much he loves Laura Nero and Todd Rundgren I think said like the reason he stopped playing songs that sounded like The Who and started doing you know the the kind of singer songwriter stuff he's known for in the 70s is mm-hmm. because he heard <laughs> Laura Nero and it's just like some artists are like that. They're incredibly influential, but like nobody even knows who they are. And I guess the reason is because it's like her songs have 
kind of a strange structure to a lot of them like they are kind of unconventional but still have like pop melodies and stuff in them and then there's also the fact that like <laughs> she clearly hated working in the music industry and I, I know Joni Mitchell kind of like was inspired by that because she's always constantly wanting to just quit music in her <laughs> personal and professional life and uh, I think Laura Nero died um, in the 90s, I think. I mean, it, it's always weird when a, a musician dies, like, not super old and not super young yeah. because they're not, like, immortalized <laughs> like that. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, her music's just really great. And I will probably recommend... No, I will recommend one of her albums for uh, our Yesterday and Today segment. But we'll get there. That's great because that'll answer my question of where which one I should listen to. Yeah. This is all something <laughs> I just discovered, like, couple days ago when i found out you had a uh, vinyl record of one of her albums i'm like oh who's this is this someone recent because it looked like a uh, could have been a recent album yeah and then to hear like oh no she's in rock and roll fame i was like who what i, I know it's crazy it's, it's i thought the same thing <laughs> so i am incredibly interested um so yeah i'm ex- i'm very excited to check that out uh i think we're down to the top three okay yeah we are so my number three uh, is the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 soundtrack. <laughs> nice. And uh, I think the reason for that is uh, because we did a, a podcast uh, to kind of get prepped for it where we kind of, oh, I'd like to see this song in here. I'd like to see that song in here. And so I built like this huge playlist and I'm an MP3 player and just listening to it. And I was just listening to that for months and I liked the movie. And what was great about the movie is there's a couple songs in the movie I wasn't super familiar with that I could add right to that playlist that I was a big fan of. I'd never heard uh, Glenn Campbell's Southern Nights. I really like that song. Or uh, there was that band, uh, the, the band Silver, and I think the song's called like Wham Bam Shangalang. Never heard that before. <laughs> totally into it. Yeah. And I just remember like, you know, cruising out to, uh, I was going to Crypticon and like just cruising with Brandy <laughs> playing over. <laughs> Yeah, for the record of that podcast where me and John each did our 10 songs we wanted to see in the movie, Brandy was the only one. And I think that was on my list. But at least that song plays a very integral part in the film. It's like one of the songs that they, the characters address and talk about. Yeah, so, <laughs> so at least we had that. It's a pretty that. good one to have. <laughs> I was so close to picking um, Mr. Blue Sky, but I picked Evil Woman instead, which mm. I feel like still could have worked in that movie. Yeah. But uh, it, I'm glad they, they went with the ones they went with. Um, I'm only worried that because of this uh, new one, whenever the hell it comes out, you know, at the end of that, you got a, you know, Zune. So, I mean, there's going to be like 70s, 80s, <laughs> 90s. Are we going to have to do like a, a podcast where we build a, here's 20, 30 songs I'd like to see. I don't know. <laughs> but I love it when those movies come out. They have such eclectic soundtracks, and I love revisiting that uh, power pop, pop stuff. Like I always say, kind of like pop, 60s and 70s pop music is kind of like the first kind of music I ever really liked on oldies radio. So it's always nice to kind of, you know, it's weird. It's, it feels weird to say, and it's nostalgic for me because it's all this music that was recorded way before I was born, but yeah. it is. It's nostalgia for me. And yeah, every once in a while, I'll still put on that Power Pop playlist. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> All right, Colin, your number three? Uh, my number three, I don't even know. That's a weird one to put on, but I'm just thankful Chuck Berry gave us rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, he passed away this year. He uh, He had a very strange personal life, but like... 
the music he created is just like as essential as any rock music ever. I mean, there's a reason why in the late 70s when they shot that like rocket out into space and one of his records was on it or maybe it was a satellite i don't know what it is but it's just like if you're gonna distill rock and roll into one artist it's chuck berry yeah persona sign he's just a fantastic songwriter i was just revisiting my review of chuck berry's on top from 1959 on our blog and i i always forget that there's not a single cover on that Hmm. on that album which is so crazy for a 50s rock artist because most of them like you know i they borrow from other guys. It was just the thing you do back then. People just did covers. It was just part of shows. But like he, his songwriting was so good, he had to write them all, and they all sounded like instant classics. Seven of the uh, 12 tracks on that album were in the Billboard Hot 100 when mm-hmm. it came out. It, it was just fantastic. And he's still playing those like... Uh, you know like two three years ago you know <laughs> like you play like once a week at at a restaurant in st louis yeah with his captain's hat on <laughs> he's still doing it yeah i mean that's a, that's another thing to forget about even though he was a great really influential guitar player is he was a he was a great lyricist like his songs tell stories they're pretty funny in moments too and he like basically invented his own vernacular of, of, of rock and roll lyric writing using words like motivating over the hill it's just like coolerator coolerator it's just incredibly inventive and uh yeah it, it doesn't get much better than him man yeah, as far as i can tell coolerator was not a word until he said sure don't sound like a word <laughs> i guess it's like some sort of weird fridge i believe that's in the in the song he did that's in uh pulp fiction mm-hmm. That song has uh, the word Cool Raider, which is in the name of my new band. Yeah. <laughs> the Cool Raiders. Um, my number two is an album that I feel like is very relevant in this day and age, and that's Pure Comedy from Father John Missy, a very political album, despite the fact that he says none of it was written about like Donald Trump or anything. It's just about mankind. But it's like a lot of the songs feel very applicable to what's going on and how humanity's doomed. I mean, the, the fact that the album itself is called Pure Comedy, like, it's just so crazy that it's basically, we live in a comedy, and that's our world. <laughs> and it all culminated when I got to go see him around the time of my birthday, and it was just a fantastic show. He played almost every song I'd want to hear from him. He's a great showman. You know, I hear a lot of people that don't like him because they think he's, like, stuck up or pretentious, but I really think it's just part of his persona. I mean, it's not his, It's not like it's, that's his name or anything. He says it's, like, it's a character I kind of put on, <laughs> Father John Misty. It's me kind of being more sarcastic and cynical and comedic. And, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic show. Uh, very sarcastic, dry-wit banter to the audience. The way that show ended was fantastic. Um, he's like, you know, there's two songs that I'm thinking of playing. Um, and one of them is like, he has a song on it. Oh, what's it called? Like, Leaving L.A. or whatever. That's like 11 minutes long, 12 minutes long, whatever. And... Uh, you know, so he's like, oh, "Okay, I'll do that," and he doesn't play it very, live very often. So it was, a, it was such a treat. But then one guy yells, "What was the other one?" <laughs> and he goes like, "No, no, you don't get, to, you don't get to know. This song is fucking special to me. Okay, this is my life. All right. So if people don't want to, if people are gonna be on their phones or you know, or whatever, just get the fuck out. You know, <laughs> fart or your way out with your popcorn. All right, because this is my life. Like, it was a song that was like meant a lot to him, and it was just so funny that he's." I mean, he was jo- he wasn't like super mad. He was like kind of joking, but it's like 
he wasn't putting up with the idiots and the, <laughs> the audience. It, like that's part of his charm is kind of that that cynical, I don't know, rapport he has with people. Um, yeah, and it was just it was just a fantastic show. I love the album. It's pretty long. It's like seventy eight minutes long or whatever because there's multiple tracks that are like ten minutes. <laughs> But it's cool because they're they're long because they're stories, you know. He tells long stories, you know. It's very Bob Dylan esque in that respect. Um, and yeah, it's definitely gonna show up again on my top ten albums, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the album we need, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. I could never get into that album just because it was so like wallowing in the crap that is humanity right now maybe i should give it another have listen. you heard i love you honey bear yeah that one's way more accessible i would think at least in my opinion. It, it is definitely <laughs> this one i put on he's just thinking about how humanity's fucked and we're all living They're, in these cubes and i'm just like oh god i can't listen to it i'm sure it has its moments of hope but um i don't know Maybe I was a little dismissive of it. Total Entertainment Forever is a fun song. There's mm-hmm. one fun song now. Okay. Because, you know, it's talking about, like, VR taking over our lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a fun... But he does it in a very fun way. Like, it's got a music video where Macaulay Culkin is dressed as Kurt Cobain being crucified by McDonald's employees. <laughs> and uh, Father John Messier is, like, a hook hand, and he's, like, a McDonald's pirate. You know? <laughs> Just try to picture that all. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my number two Number two I'm treating this like a list, I can't help it Even though I don't know if I put this in order or not But uh, my next one Was a show I went to Which was Japan Droids With Craig Finn opening Which oh. for me was a show Where I was like, yeah, I have to go To that because It is like the most College show possible Because yeah, Japan Droids uh, Released what is probably my favorite album of the decade so far celebration rock and their new one uh is pretty good it's 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 hard i think to follow up an album like that that's so maximalist and so just going for broke and trying to create the most like huge anthemic rock sound and the new one it it is more subdued and has sort of more introspective songs but it, it still has some rockers too and live they were just great like it was so much fun because their songs lend themselves to to sing along so well and also like i've never been to a show with so much crowd surfing and stage diving like even in like the first it might have been the first song or the second song. A guy fell and like hurt himself, like because the, the people wouldn't like lift him up, or Gosh, he just first song he just got set. down to the ground <laughs> in a way that just he got kind of messed up, and like it somehow the energy was so high that people kept crowd surfing, even though guy had hurt himself. It was just, ugh, I don't know. Where was this show? This was at uh, the Neptune. Oh, yeah, it's a good show. So, uh, yeah, you know, the the stage is kind of up high. So Mm -hmm. it it definitely lends itself to that. And it's also a venue where it's, like, small enough that it has that intimate rock feeling, but also big enough that, like, you feel like you're part of something (laughs) when there's that many people singing along to the songs. And uh, Craig Finn was really good, too. I mean, I was surprised how much I ended up liking his album from this year. Because I've 
I've kind of just been like, okay, I, I respect these Craig Fid solo albums, even though I'm such a huge Hold Steady fan, which is kind of why I felt obligated to listen to them. But this one's actually really good, like production-wise, and he, he's telling kind of interesting stories in his songs. And then what was really awesome was for the encore, he came back on stage and they played If You Want Blood, You Got It by ACDC with Japan Droids, and it was just fucking awesome. Which, uh, you know, shout out to, to Malcolm Young, who also passed this week. Oh, yeah, too bad. I have a question. Is Craig Finn's solo music that much different from his work with The Hold Steady? It is. How so? Doesn't really rock that much. Doesn't rock that much? No, it's it's more singer songwriter stuff. Is it like acoustic or his first album's pretty acoustic. The latest one's more sort of like I don't know, you'd call it like more atmospheric sort of sort of folky and like kinda rocks in parts, but uh Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty different actually. Alright, sounds awesome. My uh, number one. Wow, it's a big deal. Um, it's kind of a sad thing, so I guess it kind of goes against, but <laughs> I guess it's what I drew from that. And that was the, I wrote Tom Petty's Legacy. Of course, mm-hmm. Tom Petty passed away. Yeah, That was a big deal because he's just such a part of Americana. Been a big fan of him for a long time. It's so weird to have like an artist that you remember like probably from like like I probably remember when I was like three years old hearing Free Fall and that's a song I liked even as a really little kid mm-hmm. and there's someone that's around your whole life and then it's just gone and you never expect him to be gone that was really sad but at the same time it you know gave me an opportunity to revisit a lot of his music Wildflowers was an album that I'd never heard and now it's my favorite Tom Petty album it's great it's beautiful it's folky. Um, some very personal songs on there. Rick Rubin produced it. Fantastic. I don't know how Rick Rubin always seems to find that 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 inner strength within people. And That's crazy because that was 94, right? The same mm-hmm. year he did Johnny Cash's American Recordings. He just says something about he's so zen. He just taps into people. Yeah. That's a fantastic. Album. But, of course, Tom Petty had lots of great albums, lots of great pop rock stuff. I listened to Damn the Torpedoes, of course, and a lot of other stuff and some traveling Wilburys. Uh, that was fun, and I was reading his book, which I, or I mean, it's 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 written by someone else, but it's interviewing him the whole way through about his mm-hmm. life. He has a very fascinating life growing up in Florida, and it, it's it's really sad that he's gone, but it does make me appreciate all the music he left behind. Um, that was that was a tough day, but you know, it's been listening to his music has helped me get through that and all that, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great music. Yeah, and he's kind of one of those artists where even though like, I also started listening to his music again because he died, but it's also kind of hard to be in a bad mood listening to his music. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of went through the same thing when Prince died because he has very upbeat music, and Todd Petty also is just really rocking, catchy music that puts you in a very good mood, and that's kind of why his music has lasted so long is is it's just it, it, it's great road music it's great you know, getting pumped music it's uh yeah he, he was definitely one of those artists that just like kind of transcended genres or tastes or whatever where a lot of people can get into tom petty easily even if they're not a fan of classic rock or or that era even but um yeah, he, he was one of the great ones. All right, Colin. 
Your number one thing you were uh, thankful for <laughs> in 2017. Well, I don't know if, if I'm looking at it like this, but um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm narrowing down my top ten albums of the year and taking into account everything that's been happening politically, socially this year is I'm really just very uh, heartened by the fact that uh, the future of rock and roll, I think, seems very bright because of women. I think there are so many fucking great female artists coming out now, and like all, all of them are going to be making my top ten. Charlie Bliss, as I said, hooray for the riffraff is on my love. Sheer Mag, Julian Baker, St. Vincent had a great album that came out this year. Waxahachie made another fucking great album. Younger artists like JSOM and Vagabond came out this year with sort of like their band camp approach albums. I saw Mitski this year and she was just amazing and like put on this really just raw, emotional but also like really rocking show uh angel olsen even put out like a rarities album like this past week because she's been on such a fantastic tear and i feel like this is a thing that's been happening for a while now really is because i think rock and roll was so dominated by men for the first 30 or 40 years that like it's interesting now to get other perspectives other than other than dudes singing about getting their rocks off like Mick and Keith. It's just, um, yeah, I don't know. I am hopeful about the future of rock and roll because I feel like there are other perspectives that are welcome in rock music, and I'm I'm glad to see them. I, and, uh, yeah, (laughs) I don't think rock and roll is going to die because it, you know, it can change and transform and, and, come through different voices and different perspectives and uh i'm happy for that and thankful because that was the point of this exactly. podcast that we're thankful yeah yeah no i don't I have much more to add to that i think that's very well-spoken elegant very true Um, there you have it. There's our uh, the things we're thankful for in 2017. Um, should we do our our yesterday and today segment? Yes, because okay, I said it. we were going you, to. You did early. say we were going to because that was an answer. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do it. So yeah, this is a segment where we recommend an older album and an album, a newer album, usually one right from this year. And I usually go first, so I will go first. Um, I've mostly been listening to a lot of newer albums, so I, it was harder for me to think of an older one. But there was one that I was listening to in October that I was really into, and I've been listening to it still a little bit. And that's uh, Rocky Erickson and the Aliens, the evil one. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Rocky Erickson, it's a hell of a story. 
Uh, he's with the 13th Floor Elevators, and he's like, such a great singer and such a big part of the 60s garage uh, rock scene. Um, he got into some issues with drugs in the late 60s, kind of went through a string of um, going to asylums and psychiatric hospitals. Um, this album was kind of recorded during was a dark period for him, but it's still like fantastic. It's um, I was listening to it around Halloween time because Rock Erickson loves uh, horror movies. So there's a lot of songs about like zombies and monsters and spaceships and uh, the creature with the atom brain is the name of a song. <laughs> it's got one of his classic songs, Two Headed Dog. And uh, my favorite song is this song called I Think of Demons, which is just fantastic. And he's such an eccentric dude, but he was a great, great singer, um, great songwriter. There's a fantastic documentary about him. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it called You're Gonna Miss Me. I've seen it <laughs> recommended to be on Netflix many a time. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's, it. it's, it's uh, in the kind of the early mid 2000s when he was um, almost being like kind of held captive by his uh, mom, sort of not like taking his medication. And he was obsessed um, throughout the 90s and 2000s with the mail. Like, he would get junk mail, and he'd respond to all of it. And he'd go out to other people's mailboxes and steal their mail and, like, write to it. And he was just, like, insane. But luckily, the um, like, his, his, his brother and some musicians kind of um, took him away from all that. He got on medication. He's, like, still tours now. I think he's mm-hmm. touring this year in, like, um, Europe. And he's back to playing his old songs, and he's kind of in a better place right now. Um, but yeah, he's done some great music, and uh, I think this actual album, the Evil One, is like a combination of a couple EPs or a couple stuff all thrown together. But it really works well as one album. It's produced by the bass player from Creedence Clearwater Revival, which is a bizarre Ooh. fun fact. <laughs> it's nineteen eighty one. Check it out, the Evil One. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I've only listened to that first thirteenth Floor Elevators album of of Rocky Erickson's work. I suppose I should check out more. Um, so yeah, my yesterday pick, this one I alluded to, is Eli and the Thirteenth Confession by Laura Nero. Can you serve? Can you picnic? Can you serve? Can you picnic? Come on, come on and serve. It's one of those albums that I I feel like it should be regarded as a classic. I don't know why it's not on any like hundred greatest albums of all time. It's one I listen to that like hearing some of Laura Nero's music, I could tell that it's 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 kind of soft and and wispy, and you can kind of put it on in the background. But at the same time, the compositions are so sort of complex that when I put on this record I was like okay this is really good but I need to like put in some work listening to this like I need to listen to this alone while not doing anything maybe just driving or or laying in bed or something but it's definitely an album that it's it's just very ambitious and the production's really good apparently it's by the guy who's like like the producer was what's his name charlie colello who started 
sort of arranging a bunch of the Four Seasons songs and then like kind of transitioned into a, a bunch of other people like Frank Sinatra and Barbara Streisand and did some Bruce Springsteen stuff too. Just I like see a, Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah, and it, it has like that sort of polished um, sort of orchestral pop sound, but that at the same time it weaves in these jazz and soul influences and... Like the, I think the closest thing to a conventional song on it is "Stoned Soul Picnic," which I believe was a hit for the Fifth Dimension, as I as I mentioned earlier. But um, yeah, I don't know if I would say it's her most accessible album. I I guess the most accessible I would say is the one that you caught eye of in my room that one day. Yeah. Uh, gonna take a miracle because it is just is all covers of like early 60s girl group and soul hmm. songs and yet it it, it you know it, it's a good covers album i i feel like it's rare you know when an artist just does all covers but they actually like interpret the songs in an interesting new way and that album definitely has that but uh i, th- I think yeah her her best album is eli and the 13th confession which I remember reading somewhere that Paul Schaefer says it's his Desert Island album. <laughs> wow, Paul Schaefer. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I see it also has the song Eli's Coming. Yeah. That's covered by Three Dog Night. Oh, yes. for them. Mm-hmm. Most successful band to ever feature three dogs. I think that's true. <laughs> so uh, that's cool. Wow. Yeah, I look forward to checking that out. I'm glad you gave me a starting point because mm-hmm. I'm very interested checking that out all right my today pick uh, is an album that came out uh kind of way back earlier this year um and i just but i just discovered it recently and i don't know if i love it but it's really interesting and that's um drunk by thundercat i wish i had my life kind of R&B. He's a uh, singer, songwriter, but he always plays a six-string bass, um, and he'll put it like on these bizarre settings. It'll sound like a wah bass, and it's really cool, and he has this very soulful voice, and the album is kind of made up of just, it's like, there's 23 tracks on it, but, like two-minute kind of like experimental, kind of sometimes R&B, sometimes just like one will be like a 38-second or whatever track of like just jamming on his bass he's really good it's really cool but probably the coolest thing about this album um i almost made it up on my top 10 list just because the fact that it happened is so great is for the um one of the lead singles on this album it's called show you the way it's uh thundercat featuring michael mcdonald and kenny loggins all together all harmonizing on like this yacht rock kind of pop song and it's awesome and i don't know if they'd ever collaborated before but it was great to see kenny loggins and michael mcdonald together at last i saw them like on jimmy fallon perform it and it's just sweet it's just sweet to see those guys i'm like i'm not like and like those guys aren't cool but it's just funny and it's no that's fucking awesome that sounds (laughs) great to see them like doing the kind of music they're famous for like mm-hmm. today and it's funny because the tra- track right after that is Kendrick Lamar so it's like what track's like oh here's Michael McDonald here's Kendrick Lamar <laughs> and like Wiz Khalifa's on this and yeah. stuff Pharrell didn't um, he do some stuff on 
to pimp a butterfly. He was like uh, one of the main dudes yeah. in that the composition uh, portion of that album. Yeah, he played bass on almost all the songs. Nice. So uh, yeah, he's a he's a big deal. He's a very talented musician. So <laughs> yeah, no, this is one that I added to my Apple Music library like six months ago and yeah, i listened to a so little bit of it and i was like wow oh, this is really complicated <laughs> i'll get around to it's listening to this sometime I, yeah it's dense it's a dense work of music yeah i should get around to listening to it sometime <laughs> but not yet okay so my today pick is ken the latest album by destroyer Time swimming in blood Pencil ribbons dancing in the rain Flowers on the skyline Of course, in the New Pornographers Who is in the New Pornographers? Dan Behar is in the New Pornographers But it's one of those acts where, you know, like the name of the band is A different thing from the guy Even though it's just like that guy is who you associate with the name of the band <laughs> Destroyer's weird because he... It seems like every album he aims to basically create a completely different sound. <laughs> no, sorry, John. <laughs> John just showed me a picture of the album Ken by Request Only, which is uh, an album from... It has to be the 70s it just is. from looking at the cover of this guy in a leisure suit and an incredibly vacant stare. I think it's supposed to be Christian music. <laughs> it's Christian music. Yeah, you've shown me this before, oh, okay. but that's such a great album cover. Unfortunately, Destroyer didn't just use that album cover <laughs> for this one. Oh. Although maybe it's partially inspired by it. I don't know. But... um. <laughs> Um, this album, I think uh, Dan Behar is going for sort of like an 80s, uh, sort of like synth pop sound. It reminds me very much of like The Cure or New Order or Tears for Fears or something. And he slips into that quite well. Um, I know like of his more recent albums, but is the one that people are like, oh, that's the best Destroyer album. But like, I've never been able to get into it. I don't know why. It, it, it does have this very like yacht rock sound to it where it's almost like, I don't know, it's just so smooth that I can never quite latch onto it because I feel like Dan Behar's good at, at writing hooks, even if they're kind of like sort of artsy sort of unconventional hooks but he's a good pop songwriter so i feel like he he fits into this 80s pop sound pretty darn well yeah it's interesting i should check that out i've never checked out his work outside new pornographers i always really liked him in new pornographers yeah but never checked out any of his solo stuff if i were to recommend a starting point i'd say destroyers rubies from 2006 it's real good. All right, I'll listen to that, but first I'm going to listen to Ken by request. Oh, only. you you got to That'll get me ready for anything <laughs> in my life. I, I'm sure. All right, I guess that's it, unless there's anything else you'd like to recommend, any books, any jokes, any... <laughs> in that situation, am I just recommending the joke without telling that? Like, I heard this really great joke Look about a chipmunk and an aardvark. <laughs> I'm not going to tell it to you, but you got to check it out. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, in that case, um, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, great Black Friday, just great holiday. Um, you can check us out on iTunes by searching Mildly Pleased or search Rock Talk. That's with two Ks, no C. Or Google us. We're all over them interwebs. And I'd like to uh, end this episode with a uh, lyric reading from a portion of the song, Thank You for the Music by ABBA. Okay. Um, so I say, thank you for the music, the songs I'm singing. Thanks for all the joy they're bringing. Who can live without it? I ask in all honesty, what would life be without a song or a dance? What are we? So I say, thank you for the music, for giving it to me. Yeah.